The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. The show is always presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or head to windownation.com. You've got until the end of the month to get half price off all windows plus an additional 10% off all window purchases if you mention my name at 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's with no money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. So the Indie Combine is underway, not necessarily with player workouts or interviews, but all of the general managers and coaches are speaking today in Indy. As we're recording this podcast, Dan Quinn has yet to speak. He has not talked yet. Uh, He is scheduled to talk later today. But but Adam Peters spoke earlier uh, today. And the headline, Tommy, I would guess is basically the following quote. He was asked about Brock Purdy um, and helping to sort of unearth Brock Purdy, and he said, well, if we thought he was that good, we probably would have, we wouldn't have waited until the last pick in the draft. Um, But then he said, now I got to find a new quarterback, closed quote. Now, that's hardly startling, of course they're looking for a new quarterback, but for a lot of people, I guess, that were there on the beat, this was an admission that they are in the market for a new quarterback. Um, he also said that he went for a nice stroll or a nice walk and got to know Sam Howell really well uh, recently and really liked Sam a lot too. But uh, yeah, that was, I guess, the headline from the Adam Peters uh, get together today, and people seem to like him. He seemed to be comfortable. I listened to some of it, and uh, here we go. You know, we're yeah. we're off and running to the Indy Combine. There will be tons of rumors and speculation coming out of Indianapolis all week, and I think one of the big stories will be, you know, do the Bears move on from Justin Fields? you know, in the next week or so. The GM Ryan Poles said today that there's no master plan, uh, but that they want to move as quickly as possible on coming to a decision about Justin Fields. Um, 
I have no idea what that decision will be. I think they're going to trade him personally to either Pittsburgh or Atlanta. That makes sense to me. And investing in one of the quarterbacks that they love at the top of the draft, maybe trading one spot down if they like two of them equally, and maybe Washington likes one a little bit more and picking up you know, additional um, draft capital. I just think Fields is going to get traded. But as I mentioned on the podcast yesterday, Peter King suggested that maybe it's not over for Justin Fields in Chicago. Uh, Peter Schrager from Fox Sports mentioned the same thing. But that's a big part of what has to happen next as it relates to the top three picks in the draft. The Bears have to make that decision on Justin Fields. Yeah, and I heard, uh, I read that uh, <clears throat> Boomer, whose uh, opinion I trust as a quality NFL quarterback in his time, said that the Bears would be crazy, that they should, Ryan Pohl should be fired if they don't pick Caleb Williams with that number one pick. That's how sure he is about him. Right. Yeah, I. If you think that Caleb Williams is has a chance to be great and you think you know what Justin Fields is, which let's just say is maybe good, well, there are two reasons for doing it. One, the upside's greater, and two, you get five years to figure it out with Caleb Williams. You only have a couple of years left on Justin Fields. So, yeah, I... I um. I think it. I think the Bears are going to trade Justin Fields. I would bet that it's to Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin. That makes sense to me. That team is a quarterback away from being maybe not a Super Bowl team in the AFC because of what there is in the AFC, but they're already a playoff team with Mike Tomlin yeah, doing you know incredible wonders. Tough- um, That's a tough division. It's a yeah. tough division. It's a tough conference, but yeah. they, but they've got some you know they got some pieces defensively and <laughs> offensively. They've just been without a quarterback. Um, but that's uh, that's obviously big because that'll dictate what Chicago is going to do. Are they going to be in the market for a quarterback, yeah. or are they going to the mar- are going to be in the market for trading the pick? Um, by the way, real quickly, uh, well, I had this, and I was going to mention this later. DJ Moore, the receiver for Chicago, former Terp, was part of the trade with the Carolina Panthers last year that got the Panthers the yeah. number one pick. He came out for DJ Moore, said, I don't think there's a quarterback in the draft that I'd want more than than uh, than Justin Fields, excuse me. And then said his preference would be to draft Marvin Harrison Jr., who, by the way, According to most of the draft people that I actually like to follow, he's the only sure thing, really sure thing in the draft. I thought that was pretty remarkable that a receiver would suggest that the team take another receiver with the top pick in the draft. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. That is remarkable. But uh, anyway, DJ Moore is really good too. Well, the uh, it's it's if if Washington can get added a combine without anything bizarre happening, uh, they would have been ahead of the game because you know the NFL combine a couple of times, not that long ago, was 
a strange place for the Washington football team. Right. You know that, don't you? In 2016. What happened in 2016? That was when Larry Hess, the trainer, mm-hmm. had thousands of, of medical records stolen out of his car. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Thousands. Right. And the next year mm-hmm. was 2017, where nobody could find Scott McLuhan. He wasn't at the <laughs> combine. Yeah, yeah that, crea- that created and a problem all, for and, our show. And like, all of a sudden, yeah. they, they made a deal with Jay Gruden for an extension at Prime 47 one night after about 10 bottles of wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to mention, you know, it's where they most recently were about to sign Jimmy Garoppolo or tr- yeah sign Jimmy Garoppolo but that fell through because he decided to have surgery so then they got so desperate and were fleeced in a deal for Carson Wentz um the year before that was Russell Wilson they were in the running for Russell Wilson the year before yeah. that they were in the running for Matt Stafford although i think that happened yeah. before the combine um so you want a quiet combine from this football team, I think. I think that this group in general be will be a more quiet group. I think it'll be a more, yes. you know, mature group for sure. Yes, I think so too. Larry has had all of those things stolen out of his car. It was just one thing after another in the off season. It really was. Yeah. Um but uh I certainly remember the, you know, big to-do over Scott McLuhan not going to Indy. And, you know, nobody really being available to answer. And and that led to, you know, one of the more memorable incidents for me and shows that I've been involved in with Cooley, who Dan Steinberg wrote, had said on our show – that Scott McLuhan didn't go because he relapsed, which was never said. Nothing even remotely close to it was said. It was a hypothetical going through a list of like 10 different reasons as to why Scott McLuhan wasn't at the Combine, as, by the way, the general manager of the organization, and Bruce Allen was, and Cooley threw out... I mean, as one of the answers, well, who knows? I mean, we know what happened to him in San Francisco, uh, you know, and it was like, and so all hell broke loose. You remember this. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I I was, I was, I was not furious with Dan because Dan and Dan listened to it again and said, you're right. And he put out a retraction of the story. I was pissed off at every single writer who took that over and over again, despite me and others saying that never happened and kept writing about it over and over again as if it did happen. Not to mention my rather animated conversation with one Larry Michael, who called me up after Steinberg printed that story and motherfucked me for about three for about <laughs> 60 seconds, and then I just hung up. He calls back. He goes, did you hang up on me? I go, yeah, and if you continue, I will hang up again. And finally, Good for you. And finally, I just said to him, did you listen to the show? I didn't. I, I read the transcript. Did you listen to the show? Go back and listen to the show, and then you can call me back, and you can 
express however you want to express your apologies for the first call. <laughs> um, and, you know, it didn't matter. It was like, it's like with a lot of things, man. Once it's out there, it's out there. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. true or not. But it really yeah. infuriated me, and I'm not going to point people out by names, but a lot of people that I knew well, you knew well, and I said, you just wrote that. I'm just telling you, that's not true. Here's Dan's retraction of it. And unless you've gone back and listened to it, you know, and and they wouldn't, it was much easier for them to, you know, create, it was more exciting for them to believe what wasn't true. And I thought that was bad journalism, personally. Um, well, but, it, it was. You're right. But you see, back then, everything was believable. Of course. But uh, but I, I remember <laughs> saying, I, I would believe this, too. I totally agree with you. And then, you know, then there was this thing off of it where they're like, well, they fed Cooley that to, 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 to do that on the air. And I said, fed him what? He didn't say that on the air. Like, it became, it just kept snowballing. Like, then they were convinced Cooley was being fed this information because they wanted to to, to sabotage uh, McLuhan, which, by the way, they did, remember, with that Post story. Yes, they where did. They in leaked. the Post story. Yeah. Not on the radio, but in a Post story. Oh, that was awful when they leaked that stuff about McLuhan. I mean, that, that was, was irresponsible to run that quote. It was as low rent as well. I mean, I believe that it was leaked um, to, to the to the post, but um, you know, Cooley had to you know call uh, you know Scott who wouldn't take his call, and then he wrote, wrote you know sent him a long note. I sent him a long note to say, you know, despite what you've read, here's the retraction. Despite what you keep reading, it's just that it was never ever said. Nobody ever suggested you relapsed or but by the way you know the truth is something was going on with respect to his issues personal issues I I mean and and while anybody could have you know certainly discussed the possibilities which that would have been one of them nobody in that moment knew for sure we kind of found out months later that there were a lot of issues. Yeah, well, let me give let me give some journalism credit though uh, to a forgotten journalist who's still in the business, Ryan McNally. Yeah, was the one who broke the story that Scott McLuhan was not at the combine. Brian McNally from one Gonzaga yeah. College High School, uh, yes. who I saw play and in the WCAC was- championship game last night. Yeah. He work. He works for uh, Monumental Sports Network. Oh, now. He d- but he used to work for the Examiner. He worked for Comcast Sportsnet for a while. He worked for uh, the uh, Ben Standig, Todd. Jeez, uh, I forget Todd's last name now. That's so pathetic. Remember the three of them formed uh, Todd, uh, like Todd, a Todd website. Todd D- Dibus. 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 Yeah, they formed the sports website for a while. Uh, yeah, Brian McNally broke that story. Uh, you know, shout out to him. I actually really always liked Brian. Brian was always a good guest on radio, but you're saying now he works for Monumental, where he obviously can't do any real reporting anymore. No, he's <laughs> senior director of digital content. Okay, well, that's his, good. Uh, uh, but, is, but there's not a lot of real reporting going on at Monumental. No, there's not. There, There is not. 
Um, anyway, uh, some inside baseball so, talk. I, to I don't open think up the any show. of that is going to happen this week with the Washington Commanders. No, no, not at all. Um, look, they've got some work to do. They've got players to watch. They've got interviews to conduct. Um, there may be some business to discuss as it relates to their current players, Cameron Curl. Uh, that kind of th- there was nothing specific mentioned by Peters, but he addressed that some of the agents of some of their free agents are in Indy, in so some of those conversations will take place. I discussed yesterday. I'm sure you. Uh, you know, followed the the report from over the weekend that Sam Howell, the Ralph Vacchione from um, Fox Sports, said there are multiple sources that say Sam Howell uh, would, would be a desired trade uh, target for as much uh, as a third round pick or more. Um, I still, and I said this on yesterday's show, that would surprise me a third round pick plus, say, a fifth rounder or something like that. Um, I do think it's interesting about how and what they'll decide to do there. Uh, A lot of you got back to me and said that you agreed with me that Sam Howell shouldn't be traded, that he is a backup quarterback in this league, and you got to have one of those as well. Some of you, again, seem to believe that he's like the perfect mentor for Drake May. Sam Howell is going into his third year in the league. He's not a mentor for anybody. He required a mentor last year, just last year. Uh, I don't understand. It's amazing how people, people who with no knowledge and no, no distance close to any knowledge come to these kind of conclusions. Oh, he'll be a great mentor. A mentor? No, if, if they keep Sam Howell, it's because they think he can be a good backup quarterback in the league, which... I would say he's somewhere between 33 and 43. You know, if they're 32 starters, he's somewhere between 33 and 43. You know, he's in the top third, uh, you know, at least somewhere in the top third of backup quarterback, you know, possibilities in the league. And you know what? They're hard to find. They're not easy to find. The the interesting thing... Well, they had a good one last year. Yes, and that's... That's the, you know, that's the potential rub there. Do they want a veteran backup? Do they actually want a mentor for their second round for their number 2 pick? Do they actually want a mentor who can also be an effective backup, maybe even a better backup than Sam? I mean, Jacoby Brissett could certainly be that. Brissett's going to be in some demand, I think, here in the offseason. And when I say demand, oh, I would think not so. overwhelming demand, but he's going to get – he might get a two-year deal, you know, with yeah. at, and, you at, know, at $10 million Cliff per. King, Cliff Kingsbury may think at this point, I'm the only mentor True. that whoever we draft needs. Totally you know? agree. They don't, he doesn't need another voice in his ear telling him what to do. He only needs my voice. I agree with that. Like, he has mentored a lot of young quarterbacks. We know the list. Yeah. You know, so do they really need a veteran backup? Do they really need to spend eight, nine, ten million dollars for a Jacoby Brissett or a Gardner Minshew or somebody like that? No. So I, now, if somebody came up with compensation that is far beyond what I think Sam Howell is worth, but I admit we get the trade compensation discussions wrong all the time. I mean, uh, I just I can't see like you know multiple picks for Sam Howell. 
I, I personally I can't. But um, Sam Howell is, you know, we talked about this during the year. He is like Taylor was. He's perfect to be a backup because he's unafraid. He's mobile. He can make plays with his legs. He can come in and make some shit happen if he's called in in the middle of a game. We have saw enough from Sam to know that he can be a backup quarterback in this league. I think he, we he did. He can make throws. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, I, I, uh, let me read this to you um, because – Ed wrote, Kevin, have you seen these wild swing opinions on all of these quarterbacks? One guy loves May, the next guy doesn't. Same with Williams and Daniels. How the hell is one to know? Um, I I think that's such a a good observation because if you are consuming every single person that has any – shred of credibility you know former player former coach media member that's been covering the NFL for a while etc it's dizzying in terms of the opinions what like I think specifically he may have been referring to what Merrill Hodge said about Drake May Merrill Hodge uh, on the junkies yesterday said quote I wouldn't touch May I wouldn't grab May. I wouldn't draft him in the first round. And there's a bunch of things that bother me. He's extremely inconsistent. His accuracy, his processing, inconsistent. He's not extremely athletic. I think I find more, I, I think I find him more stiff. He's got a longer throwing motion, which allows more hits in our league than he gets in college. And I'm just bothered by it. One of my one of the last games that I watched, I looked at was the NC State game. I've actually mentioned this game. I'll add parenthetically. If you don't like Drake May or you don't want to like Drake May, just watch him against NC State in the final regular season game. It was a bad game. And Merrill Hodge said, I looked at the NC State game. That may be one of his worst games I'd ever seen him play. It validated a couple of things. He misses a lot of hots. The team misses hots. He sees hots and he doesn't throw hot. You'd have to get him in the room and say, okay, why don't you throw this? Why didn't you throw this? Walk me through it. But that processing bothers me in our league. And he went on and on. Um, By the way, he really likes Jaden Daniels, saying that Daniels probably demonstrates the best evidence of a guy who can play from the pocket. That's ironic because he was brilliant as a runner. Now, who's Merrill Hodge? Well, most of you know who Merrill Hodge is. Longtime player in the NFL, longtime with ESPN as an analyst, and then, but not recently. Recently more, I think, on his own, Tommy. But last year, he's the one that said the only first-round quarterback grade I have is on C.J. Stroud. Nobody else. Um, And then you get a guy like Dan Orlovsky who says Drake May should be the first player taken in the draft. It is. Everybody's got an opinion. So, Ed, to your tweet, we don't know. We don't know anything. I mean, and they'll know a lot more than we know because they'll interview these people, they'll talk to people about these guys, and even they will miss on on two out of three. So I don't know what to tell you other than we got to wait until they play actual games to know for sure well, in the NFL. Let me get back to old Cliff again. 
You got to have faith in Cliff Kingsbury, who's supposedly a quarterback guru, who he may make wrong decisions at times, and he has. But I don't think it's unfair to say he probably knows quarterbacking as well as most people in the NFL. So uh, you got to put your faith in him. That he know he knows that if they don't pick a quarterback, and I don't think that's going to happen, there was nobody that he liked enough for them to take that number two pick or or anything like that. But you got to put your faith in the team's quarterback guy. Well, you're suggesting that Kingsbury's going to make the call. <laughs> well, wouldn't they make the recommendation on a quarterback based on his recommendation? Wouldn't they make the decision? Um, I think Adam Peters is going to make this decision. I mean, I think as they've yes, discussed, it'll be on... very collaborative, but I think ultimately I, I it'll come down to Peters. I know that, collaborative, I know. Yeah. And it'll be aligned. They'll have an aligned vision, right? I know, I get that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, some people but, 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 aren't but Lone Pe- Rangers on an island Kingsbury, by themselves. If Cliff Kingsbury tells Adam Peters this is the guy, I'd be shocked if Adam Peters says no, he's not. I mean, I, yeah. I want Cliff Kingsbury's opinion if I'm the new GM, no doubt. I want Dan Quinn's opinion. I want the opinions of scouts. I mean, the, these are hard decisions. But at the end of yeah. the day, the one that's going to be here for a while, we know, is Adam Peters, or we believe he'll be here. He was hired to be the number one football decision maker in the organization. He was a lead in in the coach hiring. He was... And he'll be very much the guy that's responsible for roster construction. Cliff Kingsbury could be a head coach in two years somewhere else. So I, I, um, I would want his opinion, though, yes, because he does know quarterbacks for sure. But, you know, here's the, here's the thing that to me is important. There is pretty much the same hit and miss percentage on almost every position in the league. People get really focused on quarterbacks and how hit and miss drafting quarterbacks is, but it's hit and miss on basically every position. You know, a good hit rate three years after draft to look back is somewhere around getting one out of three players that you drafted to contribute. To me, it comes down to quarterback in this league, and if you don't have one, that's where your hit and miss is that's where you should have the most hits and the ho- and the and the most misses because you're taking the most swings. Just because you don't like the odds of them hitting on a quarterback, and you're like, well, let's take an offensive lineman. Well, the hit and miss ratio on that is the same. Now, where the logic of not taking a quarterback is, then you trade back, you accumulate a lot of picks, you take a lot more players so that your one out of three results in more contributors three years down the line. But I want them to swing until they land on a quarterback. And this is a draft and a position that they have in the draft that they aren't guaranteed to have again, especially in a draft which has, you know, perception-wise, three high-ceiling QBs. So take one. Right. Okay, let me... Let me ask you this. You mentioned Dan Orlovsky, and I mentioned Boomer Esiason. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm sure Dan Orlovsky, as an analyst for ESPN, does a significant amount of work, film work, 
all kinds of research into his recommendations. I'm going to make that assumption. That's his job. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and Boomer, uh, as a sports talk radio host, and on uh, one of the uh, studio hosts on the CBS football show, uh, is probably not going to be as consumed with studying uh, film on particular quarterback prospects as Dan Orlovsky. But Dan Orlovsky was a career backup in the NFL. And Boomer Esiason was almost an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback. Okay? So the opinion I'm going to value is the guy, is the former great NFL quarterback who dabbles in, in uh, quarterback research as opposed to the backup quarterback who consumes it, at least for this particular case. In other words, I'm trying to say, if Boomer is so adamant about Caleb Williams, then I would be just as adamant about that. That would be good enough for me. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of times your best players are never your best coaches or your best GMs, um, best evaluators. We've seen that through the course of time. But he's a particularly smart guy. I know, but he's also basically a radio talk show host, and he's consumed with doing early morning drive. Um, there are people that spend a lot more time. Now, it doesn't mean that the person that spends a lot more time is producing anything that's worth listening to either, but I think, you know, there's this guy right now, Kurt Benkert is his name. He played in the NFL, basically cup of coffee with the Packers and maybe one or two other teams. I remember him when he was a quarterback at Virginia, but he was in the league recently, you know, in the Packers quarterback room with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love, Um, even though he didn't really stick or if he stuck, it was, you know, barely stuck. I actually, and I've, I've watched some, some of the videos that he's put out, um, in part because he totally agrees with me on Jaden Daniels. He loves him. (laughs) But, but beyond that, I actually think And I've said this to you before, like one of the reasons I love Tim Legler as an analyst is because he's also been coaching. He's an analyst for ESPN, you know, on the NBA, but he's also coaching high level AAU basketball. So, and and now he's been out of the league for a while, but he's in basketball. He's participating in basketball. Kurt Benkert was just in a locker room, you know, two years ago. So the, things change, you know, in the league. Things really change. You know, every few years they've changed significantly. So I actually look for somebody who can communicate, but who seems to be smart and more importantly, current. You know, in terms of what NFL teams and, are looking for and what they're running and, you know, what to look for at the next level. And in this case, agrees with you. <laughs> in this case, he agrees with me. You know, I had this guy uh, this morning on radio um, who works for Sumer Sports, which is that Thomas Dimitrov group that Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, he hired a bunch of PFF guys and they do a lot of, you know, football analysis and um, this right. guy, Ben Brown, was on with me, and he said, you know, there's just a lot, of, um, a lot of emphasis put on the pressure rates that result in sacks. And essentially, that's a number that they're really into when it comes to uh, evaluating college quarterbacks, and that Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels and Drake may have high pressure to sack 
ratios. And so I said, you know, is the pressure to sack ratio um, the reason for processing or is it that they are trying to make a play too quickly? Like there is a lot of nuance in all of these numbers. And he actually said that's a really good point because sometimes the playmaking, I actually brought this up, results in a sack, but it's a sack instead of an eight-yard loss. It's a scramble out of a sack into a one-yard loss running out of bounds short of the line of scrimmage. Well, that's actually registered statistically as a sack. Or the or the right. quarterback that's back there and he avoids pressure and he turns a ten yard loss into a three yard loss, you know. But it's a sack nonetheless. And he's like, "There's a lot of that that isn't part of the evaluation. It's more straight data. So you can't even trust a lot of those numbers." I do think that sack percentage is an interesting number, but you've got to parse out those scrambles that are registered as sacks, but really aren't sacks. Um, I I don't know. All of this stuff gets to be super intensive, and everybody's convinced they've got the right answers. And year in and year out, we end up with, if we were to look back on everybody's evaluations, we'd find that, you know, basically it's one out of three that they hit on. And yeah. they don't know which one of the three that they feel best about. And I think the teams are sometimes in this situation. And, of course, beating the same dead horse about the intangibles, that's the part that these evaluators and fans and talk show hosts and co-hosts, we don't have any of that information. We, Absolutely nothing. And that's critical. I think processing is the most important thing other than all the intangibles, if you assume that you know they've got arm strength, that's NFL arm strength, and a lot of the physical stuff looks good. For me, after that, and this is really what Mike Shanahan always talked about, you have to be able to process pre and post snap quickly and make the right decisions quickly, and then throw with anticipation accurately. And the problem with evaluating that is the college concepts are so different and the time that you have in college is so different and there's so much quick throw and bubble screens and you're you know you've got to be really good as an evaluator to say he didn't really have to process in the pocket because basically they scored on most plays, they didn't face a lot of third down and have-to-haves. And if they did, they threw bubble screens or they you know, ran the ball or ran a quarterback draw. And somehow you've got to be able to identify that at the pro level with pro passing concepts, with tighter window throws, with tighter coverage, you're going to have to have a guy, you're going to have to project, can figure out what's going on in – two and a half to three, you know, two and a half seconds roughly and get the ball out to the right place on time with anticipation. And I think it's really hard for them to do that um, because there are very few quarterbacks where you see that consistently in college. It's not what they're asked to do. But anyway. Uh, Here's what Adam Peters said uh, about evaluating quarterbacks. Quote, you learn more and more every time you do it. Most of them are mistakes, I feel like. 
it's really hard to evaluate quarterbacks. You just try to get better. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would add to the processing thing and add to what he said by saying, when you hear Kingsbury talk about, you know, the intangibles, but then he says, you've got to be able to move. You've got to be able to create, you know, in the biggest plays and in the biggest moments on third down typically. That if you're going to err on two guys that are close but maybe different, err on the guy that's got mobility. That yeah. The league, yeah. the league almost requires it. There are very few examples. Like you know who, uh, that would be one Kirk Cousins. He's one of the few that doesn't need mobility. He, he could use it, don't get me wrong. But the reason he overcomes it is he's so, so good at processing quickly. He processes pre- and post-snap as well as anybody in the league, which is why he has success without mobility. But it's, it's, it's you know, we don't know anything until they start playing yeah. games. You just don't want them to make a mistake on the person. Like, you can contr- like you can't have them make a mistake on, you know, this guy can't make the throws. Okay, obviously, they're not going to make a mistake on that. You just, after that, you, you just hope... And you have to be really good on making sure you're getting a good a good person. You're getting a yeah. guy that meets especially especially this franchise, especially this organization, especially after what this fan base has been through. Yeah. All you need is all this fan base needs is football drama. No other drama. Please, football drama. Uh, we'll, we'll take that. Um, but, yes. but uh, you know, I mean, our last, you know, two number twos had too much drama, one a quarterback, one not a quarterback, and our other first-round quarterback had a lot of drama, rest in peace, Dwayne, as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got a bunch of things. I wanted to tell you about my jury duty, which I was on yesterday. We'll do that more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Okay. This is a glorious day for Shelly's back room at 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. You want to know why, why? Kevin? Why, Tommy? Because it's National Cigar Day. It is? It's declared, yes. I didn't know that. February 27th is National Cigar Day. The holiday, according to a website that I found, and I don't know, TorchCigarBar.com, the holiday commemorates the inventions of business mogul Oscar Hammerstein, which, which made a lot of machines related to cigar manufacturing, including the cigar rolling machine that paved the way for the mass production of cigars. You know, all cigars used to be rolled by hand. Yeah. Uh, and and so, so today is a day to celebrate cigars. Mm. And, how, you know, there's no better place to do it at Shelley's back room. It, it's the headquarters for cigar celebration. It's where people go to celebrate cigars, whether it's through relaxation, whether it's through the fla- uh, enjoying the flavor of a great cigar, or meeting people while you're smoking cigars. It's a day of celebration, National Cigar Day, and Shelley's Back Room is the ultimate place to do it. You can get cigars from the top 25 cigars available, uh, according to Cigar Aficionado. Shelly's Back Room always makes sure they're up to date on the best cigars that you can find. Uh, you can find out more at Shelly'sBackRoom.com. I never smoked um, cigarettes. Uh, I never really smoked cigars. I went through that phase where you know everybody was smoking cigars and I would smoke cigars, but I never loved cigars. The Al Capone, the Al Capone phase, I call it. Um, but I always thought it was cool to watch somebody roll a cigarette. Rolling a joint, I'm familiar with. Um, but rolling a cigarette was always cool. I don't know if people do that anymore, do they? I don't know. There was a guy, I think so. I think out west they do. There's some people. There was a guy in high school I went to uh, with who rolled his own cigarette. Yeah. He was a strange dude. <clears throat> he wound up becoming a decorated cop uh, years later. But, uh, I mean, I would have a problem with that because... You know, I have these stubby fingers. I, I could never roll <laughs> you my You do own have cigarette. some stubby fingers. I That's do. for it's sure. Like, you know, Dave, Dave said once, watching me type something on my phone, it's like watching a gorilla play the piano. Oh, well, I mean, not only that, you were a hunting pecker. <laughs> I mean, you were a one-finger yeah. hunting pecker on that, on, yeah. on, that, on that keyboard. My God, I don't know how you write. Um, you write, no wonder your columns are so short. Uh, it would take no, you no, forever. no, that's not fair. I, I don't write. I'm not a hunting pecker when I type on, right. a, on a computer. Okay. Really? Look, the only thing I got out of high school was I took a typing class and learned how to type. That's the only thing I got out of high school. I took a typing class in middle school. Mrs. Long wow. was our teacher. And when you talk about chaos in a classroom, that's why I remember it. <laughs> There was just chaos. I do. I remember getting booted out of that class once or twice because um, 
I had my hat on backwards. We were allowed to wear a hat, but not backwards. Mrs. Long didn't like hats backwards. Uh, And it was just utter chaos. She had absolutely no control over anybody in that class. Um, But I did learn my ASDF JKL semi home keys, right? That's it. ASDF JKL semi. That's where where you have your, your fingers. That's home base. I can type pretty okay. quickly. Um, so I had jury duty yesterday in D.C., uh, which there's really no story to tell here other than there. the process is you're told to show up at 8 a.m., 500 Indiana Avenue Northwest, D.C. Uh, courthouse, Superior Courthouse, and then there is – a two-hour process of standing in lines before you get checked in. It's not very efficiently done. Now, I understand getting into the building, security and lines, etc., into a courthouse. But once you're in and you're secure, we got into another line that was over an hour long just to get checked in. And then you go to the jury lounge where it's another hour and a half. And then we got called... Uh, there are 24 of us, the first 24 names called in a juror lounge with, I don't know, maybe 150 people in it, I would guess somewhere around that number. I was one of the first 24 names called to go to a courtroom for the process of picking a jury, eight jurors out of the 24. So the judge introduces the case. It's a civil case. It has to do with somebody who is suing a builder who they say um, essentially didn't provide what they paid for in the renovation of their home. Um, He's made the presentation of the case. He's introduced the lawyers. The plaintiff uh, and the defendants are introduced. And then they ask a set of questions, 14 questions. You've got a little three-by-five card with a pencil, a number two pencil with, you know, an eraser. And if you answer yes to any of the questions, you put down the number question, they take your cards. Now, this this is a process. This is another 45 minutes to an hour. So it's been about a four-hour day and morning already. And you're answering these questions, and then you're asked to leave the courtroom, and then you're going to be called in one by one because whatever you answered yes to, the judge wants to ask you questions. They want to get to know you, and I'm hoping as I would hope I, – actually, I shouldn't say this. I, I bet a lot of you would love to actually be picked for a jury. Me, not so much. I've been on a jury before. It was a very, it was a frustrating experience. I've told that story before. I don't know if you remember it, Tommy, um, but I'll yeah. t- I'll tell it here in a moment. But I- I'm looking to be honest. Of course, I'm going to be honest, but hoping I don't get picked. Someone told me after the fact that if I had just mentioned right from the beginning I was with media, that they probably would have dismissed me. Do you think that's true? Well, I think I think it, it probably raises your chances of being dismissed. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sports talk host. I'm not a you know a crime investigator for you know Channel Four. But anyway, long story short, 
after, you know, the introduction and the things and the questions that took forever and us being dismissed and them taking the cards, they start to interview jury, you know, jurors one through 24, one through 12. I was in the first 12. I was number 11. And as they get to like number six, the judge asks everybody to come into the courtroom because the, the actual case has been postponed because one of the key witnesses is ill. So all of that for nothing. But then he can't dismiss us. We have to go back to the jurors lounge. And at that point, they'll decide what to do with us. So as we went back to the jurors lounge, people are like, oh my God, we're going to get thrown into another one and we're going to have to start all over. And so I went right to the window where they, you know, they, they took our information to begin with and checked us in. And I just said, uh, we're coming up from Judge, I think his name was Kravitz or something like that. And he said, we're, we're coming up here for you guys to dismiss us uh, because the case, got, uh, the case got postponed. And they didn't know anything about it. And so they come back over. And at that point, everybody's yeah. in this room, and they said, "All right, uh, put your, give us your badges, give us your numbers. You all can go home." And so you just, dismissed them. I I just wanted to lead them into, you know, doing the right thing, which was letting us go home. Well, that's which what they you did. did, though. So you dismissed them. You were the judge. Well, I didn't make judge the final decision. I yes, just you did. I I you went up there and you said he sent us here for you to dismiss us, and now. <laughs> I said, we were sent back up here. The, the case is postponed, and, and we're, we're here. I guess we're, you know, he, he said we're gonna, you guys are going to dismiss us or whatever, and they didn't know anything about it, and everybody was filing in behind me, the other 24 people, and then they just came back and said, all right, give us your stuff. You guys are free to go, which was I'm very lovely. proud of you. Um, I got called in Howard County when I lived in Howard County, and... Uh, we're in the big room, and the way they did it was they would ask questions, and people would raise their hands uh, or raise a number or something like that, and the, uh, somebody would write down the, the numbers that responded to different questions. Right. And one of them was, have you ever been, you know, have you ever been sued? And I have been sued a few times. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I raised my hand. So then I wound up in front of the judge, uh, not long after. And he says, you know, I listen to your show all the time. You guys are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. I, you know what? I, I remember you telling that story when you just said that. Yeah. And I got dismissed. Yeah. Um, about five or six years ago, I served on, I got, I got picked first time ever. It was a criminal case. It was an attempted robbery, assault, and battery charges. And um, it was a two-day trial. And I, I, I mean, whatever. Um, long story short, when the case was over, first of all, I, I know I, I told this story before, I couldn't have been less impressed with the defense attorney. I, I felt like after listening to the case that he was guilty of all charges. Um, but I also felt like the defense attorney didn't do him any favors. You know, it was pro- it was a court appointed. He was just a terrible communicator. He was incredibly disorganized. Um, it just was 
Uh, it was bad. It was kind of like that jury duty show that was on like last year that we watched. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but but when we got excused with the, the judge's instructions, everybody wanted to order food. And I said, along with this other young woman, she was probably 25, we both said, well, why don't we take a vote before we order lunch? Because maybe we all agree and we can go back in with a quick verdict. Oh, no, 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 no. The majority of people were there for the free lunch. So <laughs> they ordered lunch, you know, an hour later, we, you know, hour and a half later, it shows up an hour and a half, you know, everybody's done. And not only that, they, they want it to stretch into the following day because they get another day off from work and they get paid for that day off. And so when we did finally take the, I, I, we convinced the, the, um, the four woman, the, the jury foreman, uh, she was a woman. So the jury for woman, um, to take a quick vote. And it was like eight, four. And, um, and I, I couldn't believe it. Like to me, it was so obvious, but there were eight people that thought he was innocent four that thought he was guilty. And we went through it back and forth. We came back the following day. Again, you know, lunch had to be delivered and served. And finally, there was like a compromise, basically, on finding him guilty on one of the charges and not guilty on the other. But at one point, I said to the group, I feel very strongly that and nobody's made a good enough case to convince me otherwise that he's guilty on all of the charges. In fact, I I I I'm a betting man and I'd wager any amount of money that this guy's got a rap sheet that's just outrageously long. And of course, you know, well that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I said, I understand that. I'm just I I, I, I this is how I feel, but I'm giving you my guilty based on the evidence presented in the jury and the in the judge's instructions. So that the 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 prosecuting attorney was flabbergasted that we we split the you know not guilty and guilty i could tell like seriously like did you see the job the defense did compared to me and i i mean i noticed um and so did a few others so i ended up making a call to a friend who looked it up the guy was already in prison um, on, you know, for an 18 month sentence and he was awaiting jury trials on another two cases that were identical to the one that we oh, just God. heard. So, um, that's my jury experience. Yesterday was fine. It was actually more efficient in some ways than I thought it would be. It took me like three months to get a marriage license in DC many, many years ago. Uh, and now that I live in DC, I've actually found most of the services to be pretty decent. Um, I don't know, whatever. Hey, uh, I went last night to the WCAC championship game at AU. Uh, it was Paul the sixth against Gonzaga in the Catholic league championship game. Tommy, uh, Paul the sixth is number two in the country country. Gonzaga is number eight in the country. In the game last night were two five-star uh, uh, prospects, five four-star prospects, and six wow. three-star prospects, according to those that were there. Um, 
I was told, and I have not seen either team play this year, and I didn't go to the semifinals on Friday night, but I've been told by friends all season long, you've got to go watch PVI play, Paul the Sixth play. It's probably the best team in the history of D.C. in terms of high school boys teams. They went undefeated in the WCAC. They did not have a game in league that was decided by less than 10 points. They won every game by double di- by double digits. Their only two losses on the entire campaign, they played a big-time national schedule. They lost to the number one team in the country, which is Columbus down in Miami. That team has the two Boozer twins on it, uh, Carlos Boozer's uh, two twin boys, one of whom is the projected number one pick in 2026. They lost to them in a very tight game. And they also lost to Montverde Prep, who has Cooper Flagg on the team. He's the number one player in America. He's the projected number one pick in the 2025 draft. He's going to Duke next year. Uh, By the way, um, Derek Queen, Maryland's five-star recruit that they signed last week, is on that team. So those are the two games they lost, competitive games. But I've been told that it's the best team that you've ever seen in our area, which is saying a lot considering how many great teams that have, been, that have been out of this area. So they won the championship game last night, 63-51. to 51. It was a competitive game. Gonzaga played great. The game was tied late third quarter. It was tight through the early to mid portion of the fourth quarter, and they pulled away late. I, there are, I mean, where's my, where are the roster? Where's the roster that I had? So here are their five seniors, Tommy, all right? Two are going to Duke. One's going to Yukon and one's going to Rhode Island. That's wow. the five seniors. The underclassmen are are all, all highly rated. Their sophomore guard Jordan Smith is is one of the top 5 sophomores in America. He's already been offered by everybody. I mean Gonzaga was loaded. Um one of my favorite players in the game was Derek Dixon, their point guard who's a junior. Uh, and Christian Gerdak, their big guy, um, love them. By the way, number five, Nick Lewis. My God, dude, you compete. Relentless defender. But I've never, in watching high school basketball and been to a lot of high school basketball games over the years, I've never seen a team that was quicker defensively and more athletic defensively than Paul the Sixth. This game was played at a pace. I mean, I, I, there were so many coaches last night, and I talked to, to several of them at halftime, and I asked a couple of them. They'd beat how many you know, Division I schools? A lot of them was the answer. <laughs> like a lot of them. Uh, wow. This was – and Gonzaga is the number eight team in the country. They'd beat a lot of teams too. They've got big-time prospects on their team too, but – I don't think I've ever seen a team this loaded. I mean, you got you got five stars and four stars and three stars. Uh, um, Darren Harris, who was the Player of the Year, he's going to Duke. Is their two guard, their six foot six inch uh, wing guard, and he he led them with twenty one points. He's great. But their point guard that's going to Rhode Island is one of the quickest defensively and with the ball in his hands players I've ever seen. 
They were Jordan Smith, the sophomore. He's got to have a 44 inch vertical. I mean, this kid is six two and was dunking every which way, and it was a quick hard dunk with his head pretty much level with the rim. They were impressive. I had Glenn Farello, the head coach, on um, the radio show this morning. He's done such a great job there. The coaching in that league is first rate. The coaching, you know, pretty much around town, is always uh, great, but. Wow, what an impressive team. What an impressive uh, performance by Gonzaga, too. I mean, I was kind of rooting for Gonzaga because a lot of got a lot of friends who are fathers, you know, Gonzaga fathers, um, more than right. Paul VI. But our city just has outrageous high school basketball. You know, the WCAC has been the best conference in the country for my lifetime in boys' basketball, and it's the same with girls' basketball. I mean, it's it's the best top to bottom that there is, and the competition level is insane. Uh, now, you know, you know, go ahead. Maybe Ted should start showing that on the monumental sports instead of the Wizards. Yeah, I. I, I they, now the game was broadcast last night on something. The only reason I know that is they had me on at halftime or into the third quarter. <laughs> Um, and they and those guys did a great job. Um, Tim Strachan was part of the group. Kevin Ricky, the whole the, the whole group. Um, Ken, the whole group um, was great. But uh, Tom, that is that that tournament every year doesn't disappoint. I mean, there were probably three to four NBA, future NBA players on the floor this weekend. It's amazing the talent in this area. But God, that team that team was sick in terms of their quickness and athleticism. Um, all right. Uh, I've got more on Peter King, and you have a very interesting Tommy Purify uh, story. Uh, Tommy Purify's not dead yet. We'll get to that and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This final segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. You'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. MyBookie should be your home for all of the March hoops coming our way, both the men's tournament and the women's tournament. You'll have all the lines, totals, money lines, prop bets, lots of contests at MyBookie as well. MyBookie.ag. Promo code Kevin DC. Before we get to Tommy's Tommy Purify story, I wanted to just mention 
that I talked about Peter King yesterday. Tommy, I don't know if you saw that he's retiring. Um, right. And had his final Monday morning quarterback. And I mentioned that, you know, I, I recognize that he was, you know, a very good columnist and, you know, NFL reporter. I just was never the biggest fan primarily because of his, you know, going public against the name. And I just didn't think that, you know, anybody was clamoring to hear what Peter King felt in 2012 about the name of the team. Uh, but in, but people reminded me, Paulie, Neil, uh, like so many of you, you forgot the most important reason that none yeah. of us like yeah. Peter King. He kept Art Monk out of the Hall of Fame. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I can't believe I forgot about that. Um, but you're right. I mean, he was a... Uh, he was not an Art Monk advocate for the Hall of Fame. One of the reasons it took Art Monk so long to get into the Hall of Fame. Fortunately, he did. And that particular day in Canton with he and Daryl Green going into the Hall of Fame was all time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to take anything away from him as a writer. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of Skins fans, um, you know, reached out and said, uh, you forgot the other reason why we're not Peter King fans. It was Art Monk. So there you go. I can certainly understand that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what do you got? So tell me about Tommy Purify's, you know, biopic. Well, uh, as you know, Tommy Purify is retired. There's no more karaoke. Yeah, apparently. Okay. In fact, we're thinking of going to a different location next year because it's just too difficult to watch the karaoke take place underneath my window. Are you serious? Take part Are it. you serious yes. right now? Uh, no, yes. no, really. You're, no. you're being serious. You, you would actually not go back to the place that you guys have loved during the winter months as you've wintered in Florida during fe- February, summer in Spain, winter in Florida, because <laughs> you got duped by Sammy Panama. It's too painful. Too painful a memory. Plus, there's other places in Florida. Florida's full of beach towns. Yes, it okay? is. But you like we'll this find... one. You like Destin. Oh, well, there'll, there'll be other ones. Okay. So, you know, we're, we're, we're looking around a little bit, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, one of our listeners, Matt Hardman, came up with a biopic, about, you know, a, a, a movie about Tommy Purify by feeding it into uh, AI. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, I think it was Chat GPD. Yeah. GPT. And he said, write a movie outline for the Tommy Purify biopic. And this is just a synopsis of what they came up with. I mean, he has a whole outline, like the kind of thing that you would present, you know, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, key themes, the soundtrack. <laughs> it's all laid out, yeah. but I'll just give you the synopsis of it. The untold story of Tommy Purify, the unrecognized third Purify brother, who despite facing the shadows of his famous siblings and the underworld's grip on his career, finds his own voice and path to redemption through the unlikely world of karaoke. <laughs> That's not too far from, you know, the problem is you're not, you're giving up karaoke. Yes. Yeah. Well, this, this, is, this is a different scenario. Right, it is. is. But it's the film business, Kevin. You know, you got to... You gotta have a, you gotta take some liberties here. So, who are the uh, you know, it, it, who are the more famous siblings of Tommy Purify? Well, I'll, I'll tell you where I got the name from. 
there was a duo named James and Bobby Purify. And in the late 60s, they had a great one-hit one wonder song called I'm Your Puppet. Okay? And it's a great tune. Uh, it's very old-school kind of tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always loved that name, Purify. I mean, that's a great name. So I sort of adopted it. You know, I'm not related to James and Bobby Purify. But uh, I thought Tommy Purify worked, the lost Purify brother. What what's the uh, what's the reference to the underworld's grip on your career? Okay, the mafia deal. Tommy's aspirations quickly turn into a nightmare as he realizes he's entangled in a mafia-run recording deal scam. Despite producing quality music, he's cheated out of earnings and trapped in a dangerous contract. <laughs> How does this come up with this? Seriously. <laughs> I know. It's, Kevin, it's scary as shit. Oh, my God. Because this is a computer program. And it's all based this. off of clearly just the conversation on this podcast about it. Or is it based off of your social media? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he, he fed this information into it. Uh, it's a basic information. And asked you know the chat GPT to come up with a uh, an outline, and it did. The, did it mention at all that Tommy Purify, uh, while entangled in this mafia recording deal scam, never put the down payment on uh, the thousand dollar down payment down? Which, by the way, was your. This is why I would continue. You didn't get duped. This wasn't, you were disappointed, a little, a slight disappointment, but you're, you're not out a thousand bucks. You should consider yourself to be ready to go again because you avoided a true entangled mafia run recording deal scam. Listen, Kevin, they stole my, they didn't steal my wallet, but they stole my heart. (laughs) Okay. You're just, your heart breaks way too easily. Read the the last two parts of act three. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Rediscovery, it's called. Tommy's performance gains local fame, catching the attention of a documentary filmmaker interested in the Purify legacy. As he shares his untold story, Tommy finds catharsis and recognition. There you go. The film concludes with Tommy receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award at a local music festival, finally acknowledged for his contributions to music. His brothers join him on the stage, reconciling and celebrating Tommy's perseverance and talent. <laughs> that Lifetime Achievement Award would be displayed in your office at 1801 Rockville Pike if you still had one with all of your other awards. You know what? Well, look, we'll I put mean... put that next to our DC Sports Podcast Award. <laughs> I mean, it, it all's well that ends well. You've got something to look forward to, it, it would appear. Hang in there. Yes. You know, your, your heart's broken now, but it will mend. And your next lover will be the one you've waited for forever. No offense to Liz. Um, All right, then. Uh, Anything else? Scary. I got nothing else for you, This AI is scary. Seriously. It's scary. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I just pulled up, by the way, the whole thing. It's hysterical. I mean, they got the whole... Yeah, it's great. They got three acts... An epilogue, there are key themes mentioned, and then there's a soundtrack 
a mix of original yeah. songs by Tommy, hits from James and Bobby Purify, and popular karaoke classics mirroring Tommy's journey through the music industry and his eventual peace with karaoke as his stage. <laughs> oh, can't wait for the soundtrack. If anyone wants to re- if anyone wants to read this, I posted it on my social media. It's just go to my Twitter or my Facebook account, and you can see the link to it there. That's Tom with a T-H. That's how it starts, T-H-O-M, Lavero. Yes. All right, uh, good job today. I'll talk to you on Thursday. All right, boss. Back tomorrow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay, that's eleven. Guilty. Was Bonnie not guilty? One. Eleven guilty, one not guilty. Well, now we know where we are. Boy, oh boy, there's always one. (laughs) Oh, what do we do now? I guess we talk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.